Well, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. I hope you can't hear the background noise too loud, but I'm sitting on my turbo on the balcony. I have my earphones on for the turbo system, Sufferfest, and I'm about to do a uh, one hour and 40 minutes time trial. <laughs> it's a huge workout. Um, I've had the last couple of days off the turbo due to circumstances beyond my desired control. I can't say it's beyond my control. <laughs> that would not be right. Um, today, I'm going to do something a bit different. And uh, while I warm up for this rather excruciating turbo, black turbo experience, I thought I'd just share a little bit of what's going on and how I'm applying what I'm doing in my life that makes what I think what I do exceptionally valuable. Firstly, let me say to all of you out there who on a Sunday morning have got kids, we live in different universes because I'm here on my turbo 7 a.m. Uh, no kids, no uh, obligations other than make sure I'm in a great space for when my coaching starts today at 10 a.m. It goes right through. So I've got my job today, this morning, is to prepare myself, which just means get some exercise, go out there and do my burst training, which is built into this program. Then go have a beautiful breakfast, chill down, chillax, uh, do some stretching, do one emotional shower, which I do religiously every day, usually at breakfast, and then do a bit of gratitude before my day starts. So that's kind of like how it is. And so I take my hat off to every one of you who has the obligation to deal with the uh, responsibility of having children run around your feet and look after them instead of looking after you. But I hope you still can cut yourself some space getting up a bit earlier or a bit later or get the kids watching the electronic um, babysitter <laughs> uh, while you do a bike turbo or something. These investments, like a turbo, are quite expensive. Um, the actual thing on the back of the bike, the turbo, can range anywhere between $600 and $1,200, but I leave my bike on it, and so I don't have to put the lights on, the helmet on, the gloves on. I just get walk out, stand on my bike, and here I am doing a podcast in 10 seconds. And I, and I think to that end, we need to invest in these things that make time more effective instead of driving our car to the beach or driving to the park or riding to the something we need to be able to do things spontaneously remembering we're not going I'm not going to be Olympic champion so it would be ridiculous for me to invest masses of loose time in transporting myself to a place to do something that's really important which is be healthy so I think organization of your life around 
I mean, if you have the dream world, you can go for a run, which is just a pair of running shoes out the front door. 20 minutes later, you're back, and you've done really a massive contribution to your day's exercise. <coughs> Add to that 20 minutes, a few minutes sprinting, 30 seconds times five, with recovery in between with a heart rate monitor, and you're pretty well going to be one of the fitter people of your age on the planet. You won't win the Olympics, but you'll be one of the fitter people of your age on the planet, and you'll live long. I think then comes the topic of what do you eat for breakfast. So whether I had kids or didn't have kids, my breakfast wouldn't change. We would all eat the same. And that is a relatively low sugar, uh, high protein, uh, brekkie. Um, ridiculously, I eat oats, but I put protein powder in there, a little bit of honey to make it digestible, otherwise it's not. Um, and some yogurt. That's my staple breakfast. It used to be eggs, and I'll probably swing back to eggs as summer comes on and it becomes more clumsy and too sweat producing to eat a hot uh, porridge. For me, uh, waking up with the alarm clock is not my preferred system. I prefer to wake up with the light, but I prefer to sleep in a jet black room where no light. My room is de-digitized, but, and this is the honest truth, every single night I'm alone in my bed, which is 50% of the time, I watch Seinfeld before I go to sleep. Now the reason I watched this show over, I must have watched it, I don't know, 15 or 20 times every episode, is because it just makes me smile. And uh, I know, in theory, I should be able to smile without Seinfeld, but I kind of like get lazy and really love the idea of just switching on the iPad, watching, I only watch about five minutes before I'm dead asleep. And I wake up about three episodes later <laughs> and turn off the iPad. I use earphones. No, that's not the truth. I don't use earphones at night. Now, I don't do that when I'm sharing my bed. So, because usually the person I'm sharing my bed with, I laugh. And if you ever interview anybody that comes to bed with me in the evening, my partner, they will know that it's not a time for me for sexuality. It's a time for humour, uh, intimacy, romance, cuddles, smiles, uh, a little bit of a giggle, not raucous laughter, but just a, I usually go to bed in a happy place. That to me is damn important. I've probably been to bed once in my life having an argument with someone. So... That bed sharing issue for me is really critical for the quality of my life and uh, 
I have been known in the last six months I shared with my past partner Lotta to spend of the six months before she left to go to Cairns 90% of it sleeping separately with a smile on my face watching Seinfeld because I couldn't go to bed with a grumpy person and I couldn't get a smile on my dial and it wasn't my responsibility to cause it so I guess that's a little probably more information that many people want to hear but I gotta be honest and my life it's about being real and applying what I learn what I teach So I'm 10 minutes into the warm-up on the turbo. I've got two minutes left. I bought an iPhone on Friday. I took it back on Saturday. Um, and the person I'm sharing my life with said, for a person who tells everybody to get their shit together with their decisions, you make a lot of purchases that you return. And... To be observed by that, it's a little bit embarrassing because a conlight would prefer no one to see that. Um, but the bottom line is for me, just like my relationships, if I don't love it, I don't want it. And there's no way I bought an iPhone, I put it in my hand, I loaded it up, I used it for a night and a day and I hated it every bit of it it's too small it's felt cheap and it really didn't change anything I thought having 5G and uh, signing up with Optus and all these things would make a massive difference to the quality of my coaching life but actually because the screen size went down it didn't so I said, well, this doesn't add value. And I've just spent the best part of $1,500 on something. 1500 bucks. That doesn't add value that I don't love. It's going back. And come hell or high water, um, that is how I determine who I buy from. I buy from Amazon because there's no questions asked. If you don't like it, take it back repackage it take it back Apple no question asked if you buy Apple from anyone else through a retailer and you don't like it they say we'll give you credit that's how I determine who I buy from so if I don't love it don't love the feel of it the way it operates in my life I give it back Recently I bought a Nespresso the, with the larger pods so I can make 150ml coffee and I bought the Nespresso machine uh, Black Friday sale for I don't know 160 bucks and it's a butte machine but I really would have been better to go for the electrical one the one that was just one step up and I rang Nespresso the next morning and said I don't like it. And they said, well, if you ring up and lie to us, 
the guy on the phone said, if you ring up and lie to us and say, this is not what you expected, we can give you a refund. From the refund, you can order a new machine, but we can't swap it out. So that was their system, and I said, I'm not going to lie. Purging myself to get a refund. So in my kitchen is a Nespresso machine that I will eventually <laughs> sabotage. And I know somebody one day will walk in there going, wow, look at that, and I'll say, do you want it? So we're heating up with the turbo session now. I'm up to just below my FTP again. So I might start puffing a bit for you. This is instead of doing a beach walk in the rain and the wind and the snow. So we're up to buying things and I own a car. Uh, it was given to me for free. Otherwise I wouldn't own one. Yep. And that free car so cost so far cost me twelve thousand dollars in repair bills and maintenance. So I probably would have been better to buy one in the first place from a brand new car dealer. But the only car I want is a car I love, just like the phone. Not a Mazda or a Toyota or a BMW lookalike. The only car I like is a genuinely built race-bred family car or a SUV or a van. I can put the bikes in the back off or go camping in or a Porsche 911. So I'm um, like my phone. I'm pretty particular about what I want to drive around in. Otherwise, I'd much rather have a go-get or a Uber. And as much, I think two years ago, I spent $1,300 in a year on Uber while I had a car. So it just shows how convenient Uber can be if you're a business person and value your time. And my car is a 20-year-old BMW. And I keep it because my friend's brother is a car dealer. And he said it's the best BMW ever built. And the year after, they went to shit. And as far as he's concerned, this is the last BMW in his uh, experience as a car dealer that's worth its money. And it's lowered the value of all the BMWs ever since in resale. So I kind of keep it because it's a cool car. Um... Recently, uh, six months ago, or no, 12 months ago, I bought a, a new bed. My partner, Lotta, couldn't sleep. And so we decided, because she was doing training really hard and we needed to physically separate into bed much more. And I regret it. It's two single beds, king size, two single king size beds bolted together with a zip. But it's like sleeping on a aircraft landing strip helicopter pad. So I think if I had that time over again, I would buy a queen size.
was I prefer the natural gravity of a bed to pull me t together with somebody rather than the natural gravity of a bed to push me apart. So, well, that's good. Um, the other thing that's important to me, it's Sunday. When I was in India, I was working with Patabi Joyce and I brought him out to Australia uh, and Sharath and Guruji's wife, Ama, who's passed away since, and of course Guruji's passed away too. But um, <coughs> we were talking about yoga and yoga teaching and work and, and he said, uh, he said some great words. He said, for every day I teach yoga, I get a year younger. And for every day I don't, I get seven years older. So, in other words, if he takes a day off in the week, he's aging naturally. If he doesn't, he isn't. Now, he had a very hard early life and lived to a really ripe old age. So, I kind of like believe that he was still a child when I knew him in his 70s and 80s, even 90s, he still had a child spirit. And I think this was the key to it. He did what he loved, teach yoga. Now everything else, he was a professor of, of um, Sanskrit. So he's very academically qualified. He had a lot of press struggles with negative negativity which he's got in his still has in his uh, <laughs> in his grave or in his ashes so I belong in this philosophy um, and I've yeah, I experience it sometimes I try to cram too much into a day for the purpose of taking a day off and I exhaust myself but I'm far better to spread the work I love across seven days a week rather than take what's commonly called a day off. And that day off is fun, romantic, good investment in other things. But the thing that keeps me young, keeps me vital, keeps me loving life, keeps me wanting to live it for a very, very long period of time without sabotage is the work I love. Now, is coaching fun? No. Is yoga teaching fun? No. Is it hard? Yes. Is it exhausting? Yes. Is it uh, confronting? Yes. Is it threatening? Yes. Do I have fears? No. And there it is. If I live my coaching work in the zone of what's my purpose in life, what's divine will and human will, where do they interact, intersect, which for me is in opening hearts. If I walk around going, look at me, I've made people's lives better, I'm in my ego. But if I say, look at me, 
I'm living in purpose. There is no tiredness. There's just a sense of doing. And that doing is fearless. Now, some people might say, I'd have a lot more money in the bank if I did have more fear, because I'd probably say more what people want to hear. But that's not what I want to do. I don't want to die young, having said what everyone else wants to hear. When I hear somebody talking with a closed heart, I have work to do. Now, how do I define a closed heart? Well, angry, wanting to fix somebody, wanting to fix themselves, wanting to fix the world, judging what other people do, critical, negative, uh, fearful, shy, ashamed, bashful, all the words that the ego brings out. So my enemy is not the ego in my coaching. My enemy is coaching and philosophies that reward the ego, such as religion, self-help, most yoga, meditation for sure. That's the enemy because they've been bent with commercial gain and the need to tell people what they want to hear as their mission. That doesn't open hearts. It makes a closed heart more protected. So it's important for me, I think, to make sure my heart's open because I can't give what I haven't got. And I know that if I don't get on the bike or go for a walk on the beach or do a dip, do something without any real ambition. So I'm not going in the Tour de France. I'm not going to win a race. I'm not going to triathlon. All I'm on is on a bike, promising myself to stay fit. The reason I want to stay fit, biologically, so I can do more of the work I love, which challenges and confronts me, just like it's meant to, sport and challenge. And there it is. I have two minutes left before the program starts in full and I finish my 20 minute warm up on Sufferfest. I guess last but not least people want to know how do you get over a broken relationship so quick and I think that's not really an easy question to answer but what I've always said when I learnt snow skiing for the first time when I was 40 years old. It was in Obertown in Austria with a good instructor on ice. It was so cold and it was off season. There was no snow, just ice. And I learned to ski with this instructor. And the first thing they said, we're going to teach you how to stop. And I think if you hold on to anything, whether it's your job or your relationship or your kids, if you hold on to anything and you couldn't let go if you had to, if they left you, passed away, it means you've lost a grip on your life. It means you haven't got a life. It means your life is codependent 
on another person. And therefore their behavior, their thoughts, their feelings, their aspirations, their inspirations, their love, their consciousness becomes yours. And the one thing I never did with a lot of my previous relationship is become codependent. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't love her and have romance and doesn't mean I didn't feel sad when she left for 24 hours. But I'm me. I've got a life. I'm responsible for my health, my work, my income. I'm balanced in all seven areas of life. So the only thing I had to deal with in her exit was uh, the romantic side. And I know I apply nature's law. Nothing's ever missing, just changes in form. And boom, I trusted that. And nothing was missing. And a person I'd known for quite a while, and I, and we'd been innocent in that knowledge, became closer. I let that happen. I wouldn't have let it happen the day before, before we broke up. My closest friend in the world met his future wife at the funeral of his past wife. And he said to me, it's what she would have wanted. <laughs> and maybe you could say that's what she planned, but that's going a little bit hippie. As far as work's concerned, as is to be expected, like yours, my work is support and challenge. There are people who are thriving under my guidance and there are people who are struggling to keep up with it, apply it or implement it because there's a sense of protection or codependency on someone they fear might reject them. Personal growth, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And we resist change because we have a lot of fears. And the only way to overcome fear is not by experiencing it, it's by finding a purpose that's greater than it. Okay, this bike ride's getting a bit more serious now and I'm gonna to have to let you all go. I love you all and I wish you every happiness and every success in your life. I hope a little bit of Chris Walker honesty has helped you understand the gift of learning the universal laws of nature. And that's what this is all about, living in harmony with the universe and bringing our purpose, our love, our heart, our soul into the reality of life rather than sitting on a cushion in a room in isolation, making ourselves weak and feeble. Enjoy.